together. Lord, we come before you and truly look to you, our hope and our redeemer. Lord, we thank you for your grace in leading us thus far in this service to help us to confess our sin to you and to rejoice in the pardon that only we can have through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then to sing to you songs that you are worthy of and singing to one another to encourage one another and to build one another up. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. And now, Lord, as we continue in worship and we look at your word, would you speak to us? Would you help us to not just hear it, but as the Apostle James said, that we'd be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, we pray for uh, other churches as well as they meet this morning. We lift up Big Flats Baptist Church this morning as they meet to worship together, that you would be with them down in Fleetwood, and Lord, that you would continue to uh, work in their congregation, that you would uh, help them, Lord, in their community to preach the gospel. We just thank you for them, Lord. We lift up other churches in the Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up Sovereign Grace Bible Church to you this morning uh, in Worland, Wyoming, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would guard and protect them, that you would help them in that area of the country, that we'd see more churches planted, God, that we would see uh, Sovereign Grace continue to grow and expand uh, their reach as they uh, seek to minister to their community. Father, we know that uh, in the West we are quite blessed by uh, the lack of um, persecution. We are blessed to be able to meet together without fear, or at least immediate fear. But we know that's not the place in, uh, or the case in all places, Lord. We, we lift up the persecuted church to um, you, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them as they are falsely imprisoned or even persecuted to the place of even death. We lift up the persecuted church this morning in Libya, Lord, that you would be with Christians there, that you would strengthen the saints, Lord, that you would draw near to them. And Lord, help us to pray for them, not just corporately, but even in our private prayer times uh, this week, that you would help us uh, to obey your word as you tell us in Hebrews, that we are to pray for them as if we're in chains with them. So God, we lift them to you. God, we also pray for unreached people groups that have not yet heard your gospel that we pray for the furtherance of the gospel in all places. We lift up the Bonan people of China this morning, that, Lord, you would bring the gospel to them, that you would raise up uh, ones that are called to go, that you would prepare them, and that we would send them, Lord, that you would give uh, just a desire for even our younger generation to go to the ends of the earth. The need is great, and, Lord, we pray that you would send your representatives uh, wherever they're needed, and that, Lord, you would prepare us as the church to respond to that need and to support it well. Father, we pray uh, for our world in many places where there is uh, crises going on. We continue to lift up Sudan. Uh, we thank you for the seeming ceasefire that has happened, but, Lord, we continue to pray for the saints even in Khartoum and your churches there, that, Lord, you would strengthen them, that you would help them to love their neighbors in the midst of great tri trials. And, um, and great conflict, Lord, that you would bring these warring tribes to peace. But Lord, accomplish your will in this place. 
Father, we pray for the war in Ukraine as well, that you would be with your saints there in Ukraine, but also in Russia, that, Lord, you would use uh, this conflict to draw many to yourself. Lord, we know that you are sovereign over every nation. We pray that you would work uh, in the way that you choose to accomplish your purposes. So we lift them to you as well. We lift uh, refugees up to you from multiple countries that as they deal with different crises. Lord, we uh, continue to lift up Turkey and Syria, Lord, as they are continuing to uh, recover from this earthquake earlier in the year. And uh, we do not want to forget to pray for them, Lord. Uh, we pray for refugees, even in our own country, that are still getting settled. We think of Afghan refugees and others that are settling in our um, country, that you would strengthen them and raise up your church to share the gospel with them and to be hospitable towards them. Father, we pray for the grieving. We uh, pray that you would continue to be with those who have just recently lost loved ones. We think of the Lawrence family and the Poe family, Lord, and the loss of Paulette uh, just last week, that you would continue to strengthen them and uh, comfort them uh, as only you can. We continue to lift up the Brown family in this community as well after uh, the loss of Cade. Father, we pray for others um, that have lost uh, their loved ones. Uh, Father, we pray for our country as well and people that are grieving the loss of loved ones from various shootings and um, different uh, turmoils going on in our country, including natural disasters. Lord, that you would be with these families and Lord, raise up your church in those areas to minister to these people. Father, we lift up those who are traveling this week, that you'd be with them. Uh, Father, we also pray for John and Ellie Tucker and uh, that you'd be with them, Lord, as they are expecting. Um, and we just pray that these final days of pregnancy would uh, just be sweet to them. Father, that you would bring uh, her to full term and there would be no complications, we pray. We just lift Ellie to you. Father, we lift up Sarah to you as well, Lord, as she's expecting. And Lord, that you would uh, just surround her and comfort her, Lord, in this pregnancy. And that, Lord, you would bring her as well to full term. And Lord, that uh, there would be no complications. So we just thank you for these families. And we thank you for these children that we know are a blessing from you. Father, we pray for those who are still healing from surgery. We uh, thank you for Lloyd and, uh, Lord, that you are continuing to heal him. And Danny, Lord, after his cancer surgery, that you would continue to give grace uh, to him and Melissa, that you would strengthen his body. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you've done uh, in and through uh, that situation. And Lord, that you would draw him closer to you. Father, we continue to pray for healing for David Lemire's mother after surgery last week, uh, that you would give um, wisdom to the family too, how to care for her best and the doctors as well. Father, we pray for Hunter, Lord, and his broken wrist this week at camp, that you would heal him, and it looks like uh, surgery is needed, so Father, we pray for wisdom for the doctor as uh, they operate, and then uh, for quick healing, we pray for the Hernandez family and for, for Hunter specifically, Lord, that you would bring healing. And Father, for Brandon, Lord, as he hurt his leg, um, that you would uh, heal his leg as well, that he would not have to be on crutches long, but we thank you for his uh, giving of his time to the youth and also just, uh, just the, the, that you would replace that time and to heal him quickly, Lord, we pray. Father, we lift up our members that are in transition, that you would be with them. Our church plant down in Wilkesboro, Christ alone, that you would be with Pastor Tim as he preaches this morning and no doubt is exhausted from this week as well after being a part of the summer camp that, Father, you would give him strength in the pulpit this morning. And Father, we uh, ask now that you would lead and guide us 
as we look into your word, as we consider uh, all that you are doing in the life of Abram, and Lord, that we would not just leave it on the pages of scripture, but to see that you are calling us to such radical faith as you called him to, and uh, ultimately to look to you. And so we ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Glad that, uh, to see all of your faces and uh, very encouraged that uh, the Lord seemed to work in the lives of our young people this week. We had 16 that went to the coast with us uh, and four adults that attended them and all their needs. Um, and uh, we're thankful that uh, the Lord uh, taught us this week from his word. Uh, we, we had the theme of peace and ultimately starting out at the beginning of the week talking about Christ uh, being our peace uh, and, and, and securing that uh, by what he did at the cross all the way to really how to be peacemakers in our world, uh, let alone in our church. And so God has uh, really uh, sought fit to uh, give us some great messages to chew on. They had 10 sessions, and uh, we're certainly thankful for that. So pray for our young people continually as they uh, kind of digest what we have uh, uh, looked at this week. And so you know, pray for them and, and encourage them. Trust that you all are doing well. And uh, turn in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We will continue our study in the book of Genesis. For those of you who are weary of our journey so thus far, uh, be encouraged that we are 28% of the way through this book. Um, it has been a, a, a great endeavor for us to um, look at this book and see the very foundation of every doctrine of Scripture in this book, and uh, I hope that um, you have been encouraged by it. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning? Genesis chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6 this morning. This is the Word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Have you ever questioned authority? In fact, it's amazing in this generation, you ask young people about this very topic, and we find a very low respect for authority in general in our culture today. And usually it surrounds the question of whether that authority should be over us or what that authority is actually asking of us. I was reminded when my own four-year-old just a week ago 
did not like the answer no that I gave him in a particular way. And it was interesting because I wasn't saying no just for the immediate context or no forever. I was saying no for that moment. And I took him aside and I said, this isn't no forever. This is means no, you need to wait a while. And there's a difference, isn't there? That oftentimes when we hear a no, it leads us in a different direction than to say no and wait. I appreciated Nathan this morning talking from Psalm 130 in Sunday school about this very nature. When we are called to wait upon the Lord, it's not easy, is it? And so in the context here of Genesis, we see that Abram, called by God out of this pagan world to follow God to a place he didn't know, and he was receiving this promise that's been reiterated through these chapters, you can imagine why he has questions. Have you ever questioned the Lord? Did you know that it's good to ask questions of the Lord? Sometimes there are wrong motives in our questions, and God corrects us in his kindness. Sometimes our questions are motivated for other reasons, but he questions us as well. Well, the Psalms by themselves are questions about how long, O Lord? How long will you cause this suffering to be upon your people? Other questions of, Lord, why is it that you would bring such a thing into our lives? Sure, most of the Psalms are in a corporate sense, but David, in a personal sense, is crying out to the Lord, asking questions in various capacities of his life. Lord, I have this question. I'm concerned about this very thing. Perhaps this morning you have questions. Perhaps you're bothered by an unanswered prayer, and while you think that it's bouncing off the ceiling, take courage, dear children of God, that God is hearing your prayers. And there are times when he doesn't answer the way that you expect, I think you will find yourself identifying with Abram this morning from our text. Now, notice in the context of chapter 15, this is something he is doing uh, before this conversation is happening, before this covenant that ultimately will be looked at at the end of chapter 15. So let's look at this conversation ultimately between Abram and God. If you'll notice that over the last few chapters as we've looked at Abram's life, Abram isn't really questioning God. There's no conversation. There is simple obedience. That's something to observe. But let's look at this text. First of all, in verse 1, we're going to see ultimately the comfort of God in the midst of Abram asking questions. We're going to connect that to the con context of what we've already studied in Genesis. Secondly, we're going to see the confusion of Abram. And I think we, we need to understand this because he has legitimate questions, humanly speaking. Thirdly, we're going to look at the clarity that God brings to him in verse 4 and 5. And then ultimately, that this is something that Abram is doing uh, in believing God and what he's going to accomplish in and through his life. And God says he accounts it to him as righteousness. And so we'll look at the nature of faith and while abstract, see that God is using this very conduit to point to his person and to not separate his promises from his person. So let's take a look here. Look at the comfort that God brings. Remember what we have looked at thus far. God, in his 
sovereign plan and in his desire and providence to lead Abram in, verse, or in chapter 12, 13, and then 14, he has experienced a famine that God brought on the land, which drove him to Egypt. We saw uh, really Abram's uh, lapse of faith in just uh, being scared and fear caused him to lie about his wife and put them in a predicament that ultimately God delivered them from and yet provided him with great necessary uh, things that he needed for uh, the famine. He comes back to the land, and in chapter 13, there's more trouble, isn't there? The very land that God had promised him is full of warring tribes, and these tribes he tries to stay out of. He's, he's, he's not uh, causing any issues. He's just dwelling amongst them. And we see that there's a problem with Abram and Lot as far as the amount of land and the necessities to provide for their abundant livestock. And so they separate. We looked at how God sovereignly guided Abram. It looked like the promise was at, uh, at a place of, of not going through because Lot chooses to go and dwell amongst the more fertile ground, and yet Abram goes the other direction. And notice Lot goes east, and he calls it even the garden of God, and then he sees the blessing of the land. But it's in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot makes his home with these wicked people, as we see in chapter 13 that God tells us in the text of Scripture that they were wicked. And then on the other side, we see that God delivers them even from that. And so in this context of them dwelling there, Lot is basically kidnapped in all of his belongings. He's taken away. And it's in this process that uh, Abram, being a good uncle, goes and delivers his uh, nephew and those who had been taken from him. And yet all was restored. And all these kings were routed by, if you remember from chapter uh, 14, verse 14, routed by 318 of Abram's men. And we know from the context of our sermon last week that God ultimately did this deliverance. God doesn't need numbers to accomplish his purposes. But God is a promise keeper, and he has fulfilled these things up to this day for Abram. And so what is the issue? Well, we see that he's been delivered, but Abram is thinking, but he's working through these things. But the context of this notice is that the word of the Lord comes to him. I think we need to pay attention to this before we jump into this text because we see that ultimately Moses, the author of Genesis, is trying to raise out of the very text of the scripture that Abram is really like a prophet, and we'll return to this in the passages ahead, that God speaks to him, he appears to him, and yet this promise is enduring. It's going to be both his life and uh, his progeny to come. And so notice here in this that, that um, Moses is wanting to bring this out. He says, after these things, what things? Well, what we looked at in previous weeks, after all these, these uh, uh, tribes were routed and these kings conquered and uh, Melchizedek appears to him and establishes a relationship with him, uh, a uh, Abram honors him and he, uh, Melchizedek has come out and met him with bread and wine. It's after these things that we've looked at that the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Now, notice it's the word of the Lord, but it includes the sight. It's a vision. It's a conversation, if you will, in this vision. 
And notice what he says. He says, fear not, Abram. Isn't that interesting in the context of all that's gone on? We don't have really any uh, uh, thing from chapter 14 that would lead us to see that Abram was afraid. In fact, just the opposite. He went and delivered uh, Lot. So what is the nature of this fear? Well, I think from the text of Scripture, we see from God's very voice in this vision that Abram is at least thinking about how in the world is this promise going to take place. And can you blame him in the sense of what he's humanly enduring? He's followed the Lord to a place that was not his. He lives he's to receive a land, and yet the land is occupied. He's to receive uh, an inheritance of, of children that are going to be far more greater than the numbers of the stars of the sand, and yet he doesn't even have one child. In fact, the text of Scripture, even from the midst of the genealogies that God has blessed, that it says that Sarai was barren. Everything we've been reading puts up a blockade to the very truth that God has said will happen. Have you ever felt like that, church? Have you ever felt like, Lord, it's been 2,000 years, you said you were going to come back? You ever feel that way? You ever say, how long, O Lord? How long are your people going to be put to death? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to stay away? And yet, on the other hand, we know that God is accomplishing his redemptive purposes. We know this because there's people coming to Christ daily around the world. And yet, God works in our hearts that while we long to be with him, we know there's others who have yet to come. And we know this is the truth because the gospel has not gone to all places. It informs our missiology about our passion to see the glory of God in the nations. And so while we have this cry from our hearts like Abram has, Lord, how, how are these things going to take place? God in his kindness is getting us to see a vision ultimately of what he is seeking to accomplish. And where does he start here? He says, fear not. It's instructive to us. In fact, Jesus does the same thing with his disciples, does he not? He says, fear not. And notice what he underlines this reason not to fear. Everywhere you look in scripture, when fear not is mentioned, the very comfort of God's presence follows. Notice what he says here. He says, fear not, Abram, I am. And notice this is connected here to what God is doing for Abram. I am your shield. If there's any question as to God being his shield, just read the earlier part of chapter 14. God was his shield. It is very unlikely that 318 men could rout five kings, and yet God did it. It's very unlikely that this small people of God could enter the promised land in a few generations from now and conquer the lands. It's very unlikely that, that, um, that we, we could see God's people prevail amidst the darkness of the world. Maybe you feel that way in your own Christian life. How in the world am I going to make it to the end? How in the world am I going to finish well in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation? You ever feel that with your own sin? let alone enemies without, let alone Satan and his work in our world. Our temptation is to fear. And God says, fear not, 
I am your shield, Abram. He says, your reward shall be very great. Do you remember the context of that from chapter 12? Turn back to chapter 12. Remember this? Remember he promised him ultimately four things, nation, land, that he would be a blessing and he would make his name great. Look at, um, at the call here. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In a nutshell, there is the promise. And notice his obedience in verse 4. So Abram went, just as God had told him. So the very context of this promise is being reiterated through the narrative of Genesis. It's very awesome, actually, to see and should be comforting to us that God comforts us, not just with his promise, but as life continues on in our world, he comforts us again, reminding us of that promise. Isn't that the Christian life? Isn't that the normal Christian life in the sense that we are walking by faith, not by sight, but there are things that come into our experience that cause us to question maybe even doubt, maybe even look apart from what God and his word tell us should be our foundation, and we tend to question it. What about you this morning? What word are you doubting? Do you believe that God is using in his sovereign plan every circumstance that you encounter in your life? Way back from the beach yesterday, um, we got about 30 minutes out, and it came to me in one way or the other, it was not a vision, uh, that I had forgotten my bags back at camp. And I humbly called the other members of our um, uh, group that were driving in other vehicles saying, I need to turn around. I forgot my bags. We didn't forget anybody else's bags, but I forgot my own. And so in turning around, uh, Brandon, a dear brother that he is, was trying to calm me down and say, you know, it just, 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 it just happened. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, now we're going to be six o'clock and da, da, da. And it was just awesome to see how God in that moment was reminding me that circumstances, every circumstance, no matter how weird they seem, lead us to trust him more. In fact, Brennan encouraged me. He's like, it was the Lord's will that I'd be on crutches the rest of the week. And I said, well, thank you, brother. I, I'm not on crutches. <laughs> and I said, so between you, it's a cripple and the lame. And so I, I am the one that uh, is uh, losing my mind. So God uses these things for our good, does he not? In the context, maybe a little more serious, we don't understand sometimes why it is that God uses things like cancer. Why is it that God used the death of a loved one? Why is it that God sees it fit to happen when it does? Why is it that God would give you a crisis of faith in the midst of something else going on? Why is it that God would uh, call um, other people to leave your life or change that happens in your life? 
Maybe it's even your own job change. Maybe it's a challenge in some other form or fashion in your life. Do you realize that God is using that to drive you to himself and to remind you of his great and precious promises? This is where Abram is a great example to us in believing God. Well, in the context of this, he's receiving this comfort. God is going to be his shield. Ultimately, there is no shield outside of God. If God withdraws his hand, it will come into our lives. Have you thought about how great his kindness is to you? Have you ever thought about the common grace that God gives to the sinful world? It's a wonder to us that God would show patience even with our country as arrogant as we present ourselves often. It's amazing that God would show the unsaved world kindness in the midst of high-handed rebellion against him and his law. And so we see here, in the midst of the nations, Abram being called out and his only strength His only hope, his only help is God, the person of God. And he promises that the reward shall be very great. Is that not true? We often think too small, don't we? Think of the words of C.S. Lewis and many times where he has these analogies of heaven or what is future And he says at one point, often we are offered a holiday at sea, but we're content with making mud pies in the backyard. My own rendition of that quote. It's amazing that God has offered us so much in Christ. When we think about the glories of heaven, of where we'll be in a thousand years from now, how small these things will really seem. But to us, they're huge. And as we look at the nature of even children, we see that small things are huge to them. It's their world. And yet God, in his plan, has given us parents to see, no, this is not such a big thing compared to other things in life. But even as adults, we see that God is calling us to the same type of trust and humility. That God will be our strength. Our reward shall be very great. Our great inheritance that we've received in Christ, as Ephesians says, is something that we cannot even imagine. In fact, it's unfolding every day before our eyes. Secondly here, we see that not only is he calling him to look to him and to be comforted ultimately by God. Secondly here in verse 2, we see that Abram's confused. Notice in verse 2, God, or Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Do you notice what's packed into that question there? God has clearly said that Abram will have offspring in the traditional sense. He didn't make any Uh, exceptions there but Abram is already going this direction notice he says what will you give me his implication there is uh can we start with step one Lord as you promised where's the child and notice that Abram's already thinking this direction God is obviously not giving me physical children so surely it's a man in my household and in that context 
in, in their world, that would make a lot of sense. The heir, uh, the closest male heir in a, a given family, even if it's a servant, would be really the one, the recipient of all that that master owned. And this is where he is going. Eliezer was a very, very important man to Abram. More than likely was uh, very much uh, the right-hand man that oversaw even the 318 men in battle. And we'll return to him and, and who he is later on in the book of Genesis. But it's very interesting that he is just assuming that God is going to use this man as his heir. And yet he asks this question, what are you going to give me? Notice he backs it up with a second question that he's confused about. And he says, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring. He just flatly just describes what's on his heart and mind. You have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Don't we talk to God in the same way? We think we've summed up the circumstances. We think we know what God's will is, which we do. We've heard his word, but we want to do God's will our way rather than God's will God's way. And God is clearly causing him to wait. In a way, there's been a, a progressive revelation about this promise that Abram is still grasping, still trying to understand. And we know that from the New Testament passages on Abram, that he was going to a land by faith. And so verse 3 tells us, again, more of his confusion. Have you ever been confused about how God is applying his word to your life? Have you ever found it interesting that you're praying for patience and then God continues to frustrate you with people? Or somebody cuts you off? And then you realize, man, I shouldn't have prayed that. that is, this is what he's doing. He's using the circumstances to answer your prayer. But you don't like the circumstances in which he's doing that. Are you confused about why the Lord would teach you in a given way? Or about what he's accomplishing? And obviously we know that we are not to look for visions and for the, the, the leading of God in, in, a, in a supernatural way that is um, just going to appear to us. And we know that from Hebrews chapter 1 in these last days. He has spoken to us through his son. He has given us, we have more than any previous generation as God has given us his revealed word. This is why that is the center of our worship, that the teaching of God's word forms us. This is why it's the center, the preaching of the word of God, which is central to all the ministry of the church. Because it's important that we hear the word of the Lord. And so God is guiding us and patiently leading us. He wants to uh, dispel our confusions, but notice how God does this. Look at verse 4. Not just has he comforted Abram, not just has he uh, listened to his confusion, but now he wants to bring clarity. And isn't that the hope of us all, that God always brings clarity out of the chaos of life? When there's chaos, we know that, that is not being led by the Lord. It's usually our own minds or even the enemy working, but we know that clarity ultimately comes from the Lord. So notice, look at verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Again, that establishment of Abram in a prophetic sense. 
that the word of God comes to his spokespeople and they speak it out. So not only is Abram a recipient of God's promise, not only is he a, um, a part of the puzzle piece of God's redemptive plan in the larger book of Genesis, let alone the scriptures, but we also see that God is speaking to him. He's giving him his word like we saw with Noah in the sense of him being a prophet in his day. So the, Lord of, the word of the Lord comes to him and notice it's corrective in nature. He corrects the confusion. Abram has already said, this is what's going to happen, and God says no. He says, this man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Have you ever come to a conclusion about what God is doing in your life, and then he blows it up? You could sum up my whole last year in that way. You think you know what God's doing, and he blows it up. <laughs> Why? Because we're not God. He undermines our trust in ourselves, that we would look to him as our sole treasure, that he alone is God. He alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is to be trusted and trusted fully, even when the circumstances of life tell otherwise. And so he says, Abram, he will not be your heir, period. Your very own son, notice, shall be your heir. Now, why is that significant? Well, in the Hebrew, it's literally he's giving him the clarity that he needs. He says, basically, in the Hebrew, he will come out of your loins. Eliezer of Damascus did not come out of your loins. He is a good man, he's serving you, and all that, but he is not your heir. And so notice that he has corrected Abram, he has uh, ultimately told him what to expect, and silenced him, because this is important, because we'll come back to this in chapter 16. This little wrestling of confusion is not over. Abram is struggling just as we all do in our walks with the Lord. He says, your very own son shall be your heir. And so in the prophetic sense, not only is this Abraham's uh, immediate future, but it's ultimately looking farther beyond, that there will be a promised son that seems so afar off, that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is walking us through this progressive line of Genesis and saying, there is hope that is coming. There's one who's going to crush the serpent's head. There is one who is going to save us. But it looks dark. It looks grim. It's in question as to whether this is going to happen. But I will bring forth a son. He shall be your heir. There is no other way. In verse 5, then, we see this clarity further. He says, and he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Isn't it amazing how God uses creation as the backdrop for his preaching? Jesus did this in the life, uh, in his own ministry, because he was preaching to all people, not just the educated, and often the educated were the most religious people as well, but he spoke to the common man, 
and he used common things to preach great truths of Scripture. He used agrarian language in that land, which was very normal uh, that people would take with their very knowledge, and he would use it as a backdrop. And so notice that he's taking Abram, who's dwelling in this foreign land, and he simply tells him to look up. Isn't that true in the midst of our lives, that we often to be staring down at our problems, and God says, look up! Stop looking at your circumstances to find what the future is going to be. Look to me. Look to me who made the stars. Notice he says he brings attention to their number. We have the privilege here in the mountains to look at the stars, at least on a clear night. Everybody's talking about the strawberry moon that has blessed us the last few nights in different places. We got to see it come up over the ocean the other morning or the other evening. Friday night. It was awesome to see God's creation, and he's calling us to understand that God is, who is the creator of all things, we're simply seeing the creator God from Genesis 1 connected to the same God who is making these promises, who is calling us to look to him and trust him by faith. He says, Abram, look to the heavens. Number the stars if you're able to. It should remind us of conversations that God had with Job. That God is the one who has created all things. Does he know the mysteries of all that God has created? And the answer is obviously no. So he says, look towards heaven, number them if you are able to number them. And then the awesome statement by God here at the end of verse 5. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I would love a picture of Abram's face at that moment. It would be one of wonder, awe, but probably thoughtful questioning. He's just stated that Eliezer of Damascus is obviously going to be my heir because, Lord, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. I'm dealing with famines and dealing with kings that are kidnapping my nephew. And yet yet you say, you make these great promises. Now, we're not seeing that in the text, but those are implied in the sense of, Lord, what are you doing? But it's a faithful questioning. It's, Lord, how are you going to do this? It's not just a, a doubting that he's walking the other way and dwelling among Sodom, as we saw with Lot. He is just asking these questions, and God clearly brings this this muddy water into great clarity and reminds him what he's doing. He reiterates the promise and brings great clarity as to what he is going to expect, that this will be a son from you, from your loins. God will do this. I will bring this to pass. And not just that, but your descendants are going to be as the sand of the sea, I mean the, the stars of the heavens and the sands of the sea. It's an awesome reminder. And isn't it great that God comforts us with his promise? In the midst of our world, in the midst of our circumstances, God shows up and reminds us of who he is, his ultimate character and nature. And if he is able to put the stars in the heaven, and yet we know from other scriptures that he knows them all by name, is he not able to do the impossible, i.e. cause you to have a son even though your wife is barren? God is at work in Abram's life. He's at work in our lives. And he wants to bring clarity to us in the midst of our circumstances. And so finally here, notice, it says at the end of verse 5, 
that this is how his offspring will be. And notice Abram's response. It's almost identical to what we saw in chapter 12. That he doesn't ask questions anymore. He's silent. He's corrected. And notice what it says. And he believed the Lord. Notice those in your English translations. Those are capitalized. It's the the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And that's important because we're going to look at that next week, starting in verse 7, which ultimately is the covenant that God is going to make with Abram. He says, he believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Wow. A key verse connecting our previous context of Genesis and giving us a launching pad for what is to come in Genesis. That God is making his people righteous by faith. The cries that we hear of the Reformation in church history, that God does not give us favor because we've done good or evil. We are all sold under sin. We are all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all questioning his nature and his character. We are all in rebellion to him and his greatness. The holy God has been offended and he is an eternal God, which means that the punishment for offending such a holy eternal God is eternal separation from this holy God. And it's in the context of this that he is telling Abram, believe me, follow me, trust me, and he does. It's accounted to him as righteousness. Turn in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We even spoke this this week with the youth, and we asked this question in one of our sessions. What is the greatest need of man? What is the greatest need of man? You went down to downtown West Jefferson, or maybe downtown Charlotte, or Atlanta, or one of our cities in our world today, and you asked this question, what is the greatest need of man? And most people would say peace in our world, or you know, this or that, or that the poor or hunger would be relieved. We know here from this context of Romans that Paul is using Abram as this very point, a resounding trumpet that the greatest need of mankind, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances, is that you would be justified before the living God. That is the greatest need of man. So he says here in chapter or verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans, he follows up on this promise being realized. If you want to read this in your own time, read uh, uh, chapter 4. But he says this, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we, what? Have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not 
put, uh, uh, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is the truths that we have for the same place that Abram had. If you look back to chapter 4, verse 13, it says the promise to Abram and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. Now we need to understand this because if we were to look at the book of James, we understand that faith in itself doesn't save us. So don't, let, don't be confused here. Faith itself doesn't save us. It's faith looking ultimately to God who is the one who saves. There is no other by which we must be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that there can be no other foundation laid except that which has been laid, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's by faith that Abram is looking to God, the one who is going to fulfill the promises. And so in this way, Abram is looking ultimately to God's plan of redemption that ultimately will be fulfilled at the cross of Christ. That God will take our sin as far as the east is from the west. That God will be the one who is able to redeem a people for himself and to fulfill the very words of Abram, the promises to Abram. We, however, are looking back, and Paul notes this. So notice what he says there, that we too are being justified by faith. We are looking on something that happened in time and space 2,000 years ago. We are looking to Christ by faith. We believe that God is able to take our sin upon us, but what gives him the right to do that? Well, we know from the content of the book of Romans, let alone the rest of the New Testament, that it's only because of who Jesus is that he enables us to receive such hope. And who is Christ? Well, the scriptures preach this. He's the promised one. He is all man and all God. This is the the doctrine of the hypostatic union of Christ and how they come together, his nature in who he is and representing God and representing man. As we look at last week with Melchizedek, that Jesus, by this order of Melchizedek, would usher in an ability for him to be our high priest. Why? Because of who he is. He can fully represent God because God is holy, because he is God in the human flesh. This is why we celebrated at Christmas, and let alone the rest of the year. And then secondly, we know that he perfectly represents man because he ultimately is man, but he is not like other men in other ways. He is not a sinner. But he, the perfect Lamb of God, fulfilled the law in his words and his works. He went to the cross. He laid down his life as the Lamb of God in our place as a substitutionary atonement on our behalf that we could have our sin removed from us, that we could be reconciled to God, and we could be justified before this living and holy God. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we preached that this morning, and Abram is preaching it from the text of Genesis 15, that we look to no other than the person of God. He is the only one who can save us. And so I ask, here, as Abram responded, are we responding to God by faith? It is the conduit to which we come to the very person of God, as Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He is the only door. He is your only hope. 
I beg you this morning, if you have never looked to Christ and turned to him in repentance and faith, as we see with Abram here, don't let this day pass you by. It is the only day that you have. Don't be so foolish as to think that you have another opportunity. But also for us as God's people, are we looking to the Lord? Are we trusting him? Notice this trust of Abram that is accounted to him as righteousness. Perhaps as a Christian, you have come to Christ and you realize the glories of justification, but in the Christian life, you've grown weary and maybe you've even struggled in sin. Maybe even now you feel caught in a particular sin and you wonder, is the Lord able to forgive me? Is the Lord able to cleanse me? Is the Lord able to deliver as I saw at this one point in my life? And the answer is yes. He's delivered you positionally, but he's also delivering you each day in your Christian life as he sanctifies you and as he's ultimately giving you the hope of everlasting life with him. And so be encouraged that if you find yourself questioning God as Abram did in this text, questioning your circumstances. It is God who is on display in Genesis 15. It is God who is being hoped in by Abram. It is God who his expectation is. It is God who is his treasure. It is God who is his strength and his shield. It is God ultimately that is the one that is ultimately Abram's sole focus. What about you this morning? What about you? Are you calling out in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting him in your daily life with all the circumstances that come in, good, bad, or ugly, that God is using this to funnel you to himself because he loves you? In great love, God sent his son to die in your place. In great love, as the Psalms say, in his steadfast love, he's delivering his people for himself for his own glory, and for our good. And it was for Abram's good that God was doing this. And it was ultimately that he would connect him to a long line of faithful people that God was going to ultimately bring redemption to the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I are recipients of that awesome inheritance. That's something to praise God about. Let's pray.